Well, last week, Penny talked about baptism, and this week, JT is going to, to follow up on that as he talks about the, the events in the scriptures right after baptism. So let's give it up to J, for JT. Thank you. Thank you, guys. You guys doing all right this morning? Brave the blizzard of April 2016. Hey, baptism last week is one of my favorite things that we do in the church. Um, we are not a super traditional church, but we have a few traditions that we, that we continue to do, and I love those things. So it's, it's super fun just to watch people publicly declare, like, I'm following after Jesus. It's, there's, like, nothing more that I enjoy being a part of or, or watching. I enjoyed my own baptism. I love baptisms. And um, one of the things we talked about last week when my mom was sharing, she was sharing kind of the history of baptism, what it means, why we do it. And one of the stories she told was the story of Jesus' baptism. And today, I want to look a little deeper at Jesus' baptism. And, and uh, more specifically, I want to look at what happens right after Jesus' baptism. Um, if you read the story, you'll see that Jesus, after his baptism, ends up in the desert for 40 days, and I want to talk about that, and I want to talk about why he ended up in the desert and why we end up in the desert. So if you want to um, open up your Bibles to the book of Luke, uh, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 3 and a little bit into chapter 4. Um, and while you're looking it up, we, and if you need a Bible, we have some on the sound booth and on the sides of the stage, please grab one, and if you don't have one at home, take it with you. Um, but while you're, while you're looking that up, let me just pray real fast and invite the Lord here. Holy Spirit, we just ask you to be here with us. Um, Lord, I just pray that you let me communicate clearly the words that you've put on my heart, and I, I just pray that uh, the hearts of, of people will be open to hear what you have to say. In your name, amen. All right, so we're going to start in verse 21. It says, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my son whom I love. And with you I am well pleased. All right, stop right there. So this was an amazing event. This is one of the, the few stories that all four Gospels write about. Like, this was a major event in Jesus' life. And one of the reasons that this was a major event, it, it kind of gets static to us now. It just looks like words on a page. But this was huge. Like, historians would have said that there were hundreds, if not thousands, of people watching this happen. This was big. John the Baptist, who, who baptized Jesus, was a bit of a rock star at the time. So people would, would gather around to watch these baptisms. And Jesus getting baptized was a huge deal. And not only that, but for about 400 years, is what, before this is what's known as the 400 years of silence. For the most part, God was, was silent for about 400 years. And he broke his silence saying this. He said, this is my son whom I am well pleased. Can you imagine how exciting that must have been? For 400 years, God was silent and then this happens. He says the heavens broke open. Like I don't know what that was like, but I wish 
I could have seen it. And it says that the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form. Like, I, I, I don't know what that means, but I wish I could have seen it. And then the voice of God, the audible voice of God says, this is my son whom I love. Um, I would have loved to have been there. That would, this would have been a huge event. And it would have made sense for Jesus coming out of this high point, coming out of this amazing event where everyone's probably thrilled. It would have made sense for him to like, you know, take the stage and say, now I'm starting my ministry. You know, I got the momentum, the, you know, the, the, the wheels are rolling, let's go, let's do it, and take the reins. But instead, something very different happens. Let's, let's keep reading into chapter 4. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was very hungry. Now, this doesn't make very much sense to me. Like, sometimes when I read this, I think, me and God need to have a conversation. This is not a good strategy. You had lots of momentum. What are you doing? Why did this happen? Jesus went from hearing the very voice of the Father to hearing the voice of Satan. Now, why is that? Why would this happen to Jesus? And here's what's interesting. As I look through Scripture, I notice that this concept of the desert is not just with Jesus. This is all throughout the Bible. You know, if you look at Moses... Moses spent 40 years in the desert taking care of sheep and wondering, like, this is not what I thought was going to happen with my life. You know, these great men and women of faith, these heroes of our faith in the Bible, spend this time in the desert. David, King David, before he became King David, but after he killed Goliath, spent a long time in the desert hiding from Saul. Elijah. Elijah spent time, a long period of time in the desert where it said he, the ravens brought him food. He had nothing to eat. He was in a place that they said was the land that was cut off. Probably crying out, Lord, why is this happening? This is not what was supposed to happen in my life. Paul, after his conversion... After this amazing conversion that Jesus like, met him on the road to Damascus, he spent three years in the Arabian desert. Why is that? And I would assume that there are people here who feel like that today. There are people here who feel like you are in the middle of the, the desert. And, and obviously for us, it's not a literal desert. But for you, it might feel like a, an emotional desert, a relational desert. For you, it might be something happening in your family. Like your kids might be going through something really hard. They might be rebelling, and you just think, this is not what was supposed to happen. 
Your marriage might be suffering right now. Your career might be suffering. You may have lost your job and you think, well, this is not what I signed up for, God. What are you doing? Maybe a health scare. Maybe, maybe something is happening with your health and you think, this doesn't make sense. This is difficult. This is really hard. But let me just say this to you. This is part of the normal Christian life. The desert is part of the normal Christian life. I don't know if, if when you um, became a Christian, if when you decided to follow Christ, if you were told that, you know, if you become a Christian, you know, everything gets better and you don't have to suffer through problems anymore. It's going to be just smooth sailing. Then you were fed a lie. Because it's, it's not the truth. In fact, oftentimes, some of the promises that we get when we follow Jesus is things get more difficult. You know that? In some ways, it gets much, much more fulfilling, but other ways, it gets harder. You know, we love the promises in the Bible. We look to the promises in Scripture, and we love to remind ourselves of Jesus' promises. But let me, let me tell you one promise in the Bible that Jesus says to us in John chapter 16, 33. Listen to what he says. He says, Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. That's a promise from Jesus. You will have many trials and sorrows. And, and here's the truth. I don't know of a person in Scripture or just in, in, in my life that I respect that has, you know, done, you know, at a significant ministry has been used by God to do, to do, you know, wonderful things who hasn't spent a significant time in the desert. A significant time crying out to God saying, what is the deal? What's happening? So then why do we end up in the desert? Why do we end up in the desert? Well, we can end up there for, for a number of reasons. I want to just briefly talk about one, that we can end up in the desert because we made a wrong turn somewhere. Sometimes we end up in the desert because we've made really bad life choices. You know, I'll talk to people who are just super confused of why there are so many hardships in their life, and you talk to them for a little bit, and you find out, like, you know, well— no, the reason you lost your license is because you were drinking and driving. That, that's your fault. Or, or the reason that your marriage is struggling is because you were unfaithful. That's, that's your fault. Sometimes we end up in the desert because we've made bad choices. And sometimes we end up in, in the desert because others have made bad choices. The sins of others have affected us. But this is not, neither of those things are what we see in the story. This is not what happened with Jesus. If you look at the story of Jesus, it says that he was full of the Holy Spirit, and he returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the desert. He was led by the Spirit into the desert. Now that's a head-scratcher. Why, why would the Spirit do that? Why would God lead us into, into the desert, into, into just this miserable time? 
You know, personally in my life, I've experienced maybe about two major desert times in my life. And then about, you know, a hundred minor desert times. But I remember the hardest one was in my early 20s. And I, I had grown up just really, really loving Jesus and having a very strong and close relationship with him. And in my early 20s, uh, just about everything that could go wrong began to go wrong. Uh, relationships ended. There was, uh, friends were dying. You know, I was broke. I didn't know what I wanted to do in, in my life. Um, you know, people I respected were falling into sin. Just like lots of hard things were going on. Family issues, just lots of, lots of, lots of hard things. And I remember crying out to God and just saying, God, I, I need your help. I need your help. And just, and, 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 you know, and I grew up enough knowing Jesus that I said, I don't, I'm not even asking you to fix these situations. I just, I just need to, to feel your presence during them. I need to, and I, and I had a really close relationship with God where I felt like I could really hear his voice. And I remember crying out to him saying, I just need to hear your voice right now. And you know what I heard him say? Nothing. And I said, Lord, I just, I just need to feel your presence. I just need to feel like your, your embrace. I need to feel a hug. And you know what I felt? Nothing. And this lasted about five years, feeling nothing from the Lord. Feeling like that he, he was like a million miles away. And let me just say this before I move on, and I forget to say this. He wasn't a million miles away. He was, he was closer than my skin. He had never left me, but for some reason, he had me walk through this time where hard things were happening, and I didn't feel his presence. And I can tell you this with certainty today, that even though my friends oftentimes at that time said, well, you are probably making bad choices, or this is a result of some sin in your life, the truth is, is I feel that the Lord called me into that place. The Lord led me into that place. And I'll share with you later what I think he was doing. But I went, similar to Jesus, I went from hearing the voice of the Father to hearing the voice of Satan. I was going through the desert and I felt led by God into the desert. Now why would he do that? Why would God lead us into the desert? Well, there can be a number of reasons why, but I want to highlight two for us this morning. The first reason that I feel like he leads us into the desert is for revelation. It's in the desert that things are revealed to us. If you look throughout Scripture, it was in the desert that Moses encountered the burning bush. It was in the desert that Elijah heard the still, small voice of God. It's in the desert that God reveals who he is to us. And sometimes we can just get stubborn and just feel like, I give up, and I don't even care what you have to say. But if we press in and we persevere, we experience a side of God that we can't experience in the, on the mountaintops that can only be experienced in the valley, in the desert. I love Psalm 23. Are you guys familiar with it? I know a lot of us are. It's, it's one of the most um, 
famous pieces of scripture. And I just, can you put it up? I want to show you guys something. We're not going to read it. But if you notice, the first three chapters of Psalm, or first three verses of Psalm 23, it's all written in third person. It's talking about God as he, saying he does this, he does that. Like he guides me. He refreshes me. And then all of a sudden in verse 4 he says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. And something switches. It says, for you are with me. I think that's very significant. I think sometimes it's in the desert where our faith goes from being something we know up here to something that becomes real. God becomes personal in the desert. It's like Job says, at the end of Job, who is going through one of the most horrible deserts I've ever seen, um, just everything that could go wrong in someone's life happens to this poor guy, Job. And at the end of Job's life, what does he say? He says, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. That happens in the desert. God is revealed in the desert. And not only do, is God revealed in the desert, but sometimes our true self is revealed in the desert. God wants to reveal who we really are in the desert. He reveals our sins, our dependencies, where we really put our faith. You know, like when push comes to shove and, and everything, you know, crumbles, where do you run to? That's revealed in the desert. Like when you're really squeezed, what comes out of you? Like when you're desperate, do you turn to, you know, your savings account? When you're desperate, do you turn to, you know, your addictions? When you're desperate, do you turn to your own strength or do you turn to Jesus? Where are your dependencies? And that's revealed in the desert. And we don't fully know that unless we go through it. God is revealed in the desert, and we need to, we need to allow ourselves to, to be able to see him and to see who we are in the desert. The next thing that happens in the desert and why God calls us there is for preparation. The desert prepares us for life and what God has for us. Here's what I mean. Uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a type of tree that grows in the Pacific Northwest. It's called the ancient bristlecone pine tree. Has anyone ever heard of it? Okay, a few of you guys. Um, so just in case I say any facts wrong, don't tell me until afterwards. Uh, this tree is one of the oldest trees in the world. They have found some that are nearly 5,000 years old. It's crazy. And these, these suckers are big and they're strong and they're, they're just amazing trees. You know, they're so strong that they can, there's like no storm that can knock them over. And they can even withstand fire. They're, they're so strong. And here's what happens. This is why they get so strong, is because they grow in like the worst soil possible. They do. It's like horrible soil, and the climate is cold, and what happens is their roots dig deep into the earth. Their roots dig deep, searching for water, searching for nourishment. And, and their bark and the wood becomes hard so that no storm can knock it over. 
No amount of wind or rain or, or hail can, can damage this tree. And this is what happens in the desert. God prepares us for the hard things in life. God allows our roots to grow deep, searching for life, searching for nourishment. And that's where we hear the still small voice. And our roots grow so deep so that when the, the storms come in our life, we don't just, you know, tumble. And that happens in the desert. We are prepared in the desert to do the things that God has called us to do. I mean, you look through all, the, all those, those stories I mentioned of those great people who ended up in the desert. Moses, it was in the desert that he was, he was being taught how to lead. He was shepherding the sheep. And out of the desert, he led the people out of Egypt. David left the, the desert to become king. Elijah, we, I talked about how he heard the still small voice in the desert, but it was out of the desert that he had his confrontation on Mount Carmel with the priests of Baal. It was out of the desert that Paul started his ministry to the Gentiles. It was out of, out of the desert that Jesus started his ministry. The desert prepared these great men and women of faith to do the things that God called them to do. I love this. If we look back at the story with Jesus, in verse 14, if we skip ahead after, after he'd been in the desert, it says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. There's something that can easily be skipped over, but he, he's led by the Spirit at the beginning, and then he into the desert, and then he leaves the desert in the power of the Spirit. And that's what God wants to do with us. He wants to reveal himself in the desert and, and fill us with the power to do the things that he's called us to do. I remember in, in my major desert time, my uh, quote that I used to say all the time was that, you know, God's the Father and I'm the Son he, he knows more than me. He knows where to find me. And I just did not understand why a good father would withhold from his son. And I remember I would say this to everyone, like, what kind of father would withhold from his kid? And, I would, and they would say, well, he doesn't. And then I would tell them my story, and they would be like, I don't, I don't know. And I remember talking to one of my friends about this. One of my best friends, we were sitting um, in his house, and he had like a one-year-old son, and we were just talking, and I said, I mean, you would never do this. What kind of father would withhold from his son? And that, during, the, and this is, I'm not making this up, during this time he was teaching his son how to walk, and what he was doing is he, was, he got down real low, he was holding a stuffed animal, this little teddy bear out about three feet, and saying, come on, take a step, take a step, and then it clicked. It clicked for me. I said, oh, my friend is not withholding from his son. He's trying to teach his son to walk. And I felt God was trying to teach me to walk. He was saying, JT, you can't go around crawling your whole life. I am preparing you for something. I'm not just withholding from you. I am preparing you for something. And it was out of that that, that you know, my pastoral ministry started. I realized what God was doing in my life, and I could go 
on and on about this story. It just, I mean, it changed my life. God was preparing me. And if you are in the desert right now, listen, sometimes when people come to me and they tell me, like, God feels really far away to me, or I'm just going through so many hard times, sometimes, not always, there's something in me that goes like, oh, like some good stuff is about to start happening in your life. Like it might be, you know, down the road, but when someone's like, God feels really far away, I think, okay, God's about to do some cool stuff. Or if they think, I don't know why, all these horrible things, I'm like, okay, this is going to be awesome. I mean, not always. Sometimes bad things just happen. But here's the truth. No matter why the bad things are happening in your life, whether, whether you've made the wrong, you know, the wrong choice or other people have made wrong choices or God is leading you into these things, no matter what, the Bible promises us that God will use all things for the benefit of those who love him. God will use it all. So I want to encourage you, no matter where you are or why you are in the desert, to, to let those things prepare you for what God has for you. To, to look at those things, because so many times we're in the middle of a desert or in the middle of you know, hard times, we look to the other side and we just think, oh man, I can't wait until this is over. Or I can't wait until I'm able to find a job. Or I can't wait until, you know, this happens in my life. But the truth is, is that there is so much good stuff in the desert. There's so much stuff that we can, there's, there is life in the desert. You have, to, you have to search for it, but it is there. And it, it will greatly impact your life if you do. So what do we do then in the desert? How do we get the most out of the desert? How do we be, uh, let me say that again. How do we be, obe be obedient? We, that's a tongue twister. How do we be obedient to Jesus in the desert? What do we need to do? Well, I want to look at something real fast. I want to look at Psalm 42. This is one of my favorite psalms, and it's, it's another really famous one. And I'm going to do uh, a sermon no-no. They tell you you're not supposed to read big chunks of scripture because they say people, their minds wander and they just don't pay attention. But you, I don't, you guys won't do that. I really have faith in you guys. <laughs> so we're going to read Psalm 42, and it's going to be up here too, but really pay attention to these words. It says, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. Let me stop really quick. I've heard this a number of times, th this first line especially. Um, and I've always kind of thought of it as like just a really sweet thing. Like, you know, a deer wakes up in the morning and is a little bit thirsty and finds some water to drink. That's sweet. But that's not the imagery and that's not the language that's used here. It's actually the language is a, is a deer that is dying of thirst. A deer that is dying of thirst. And this, the, God, the writer of this psalm is saying, that's how I feel. I feel like I am dying of thirst unless I, you know, experience you. And we'll see that as, as we read on. It says, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. 
While men say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember. As I pour out my soul, how I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God. With shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why are you so downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan, the heights of Hermon, the Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep. And the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taught me, taught me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you so downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. That is, a, that, that is a man who is in the desert. You can just feel it in his words. There's like a desperation and, a, and a, just an, a, a despair. But the, there's so much good stuff that I wish I had, you know, another hour to go into. But I'm, I'm only going to go about 45 more minutes. <laughs> if we look at this, There's a number of times in this psalm where he says, I pour out my soul. I pour out my soul. And when we are going through the desert, we need to pour out our souls. We need to, we need to, to, to verbalize how we're feeling and what we're experiencing. Too many times, I just think, you know, there's a thing within the church that when someone asks you how you're doing, you put on a smile and you say, I'm blessed. You know, I'm wonderful. And deep inside, you're like, I'm miserable, help me. But, but we need to be honest. Like when, when, when people are asking you how you're doing and you're in the desert, say, not well. We need, to, we need to be honest. We need to pour out our souls and say, this is what's happening in my life. We don't just have to bottle it up and just be a happy Christian. We can be honest. And, and, more, and, and, and even, you know, secular psychology will tell you that it's, it is very, very healthy to verbalize how you're feeling. And, and more so, not just verbalizing it to other people, we need to pour out our souls to God. Do you notice some of the things he says? He says, my bones, what does he say? It's, it's really descriptive. Uh, it doesn't matter. There it is. My bones suffer mortal agony. And he, and he says, where are you, God? We need to, we need to tell God we, to say, this is not what I thought was going to happen. I don't know why this is happening. I feel desperate. We need to pour out our souls. The next thing we need to do on the flip side is we need to preach to our soul. 
He says this a number of times too, where he says, I preach to my soul. Do you notice that there's, there's times where he's speaking to his actual heart and his soul? And he says, why are you so downcast? Put your hope in God. Trust him. He's good. He's faithful. We need to remind ourselves of truth. I know for myself, sometimes I can be on both sides of the spectrum where, where I just bottle it up and I don't show how I'm really feeling, or I'm just a big sad sack and I'm just complaining all the time. And I think God wants us to not do either of those things. He wants us to be honest with what we're feeling, but to also say, but I trust God and I know he's good. And if we don't believe it, we preach to our souls. We say, this is who God is. This is how he's faithful. This is how he's, he's met your needs in the past. This is, this is the, the gospel. We preach to our souls. We remind ourselves of what's really true. Our emotions can lie to us. And we, we, we say, but God is good. And finally, the last thing that we need to do is we analyze where we put our hope. We analyze where we put our hope. At the end, and actually a couple times, the writer of the psalm says, put your hope in God. And we need to put our hope in God in the middle of the desert. And here's what I mean. When we talk about hope, it can get confusing because I think we're talking about a couple different things. I think we're, there's a, a capital H hope and there's a lowercase h hope. So, so the capital H hope is God. We put our hope in God. But the lowercase h hope is, I really hope I get this job. Or I, I really hope that my marriage is restored. Or I really hope that my, my kids are, you know, get through this, this hard time. And those things are, are wonderful to hope for, and we can fight for those things and pray for those things, and we can hope for those things. But capital H hope has to be God alone. And here's what I mean by that. That we say no matter what happens to the lowercase h hopes, you are still on the throne, and you are still good, and still I will follow you, and still I will trust you. That's capital H hope. And a lot of times what happens is the lowercase h hope overtakes the capital H hope. And we say, I don't think I'm going to be all right unless this happens in my life. Like unless I can start getting this, you know, I just don't know if I can make it. Like unless, you know, this situation ends up being okay, I just... My hope is in that. Let me give you an example. Um, right now, I would say um, my family and myself are going through a bit of a desert time. Um, it's just been a, it's been a really hard couple of years. It's a lot of hard things have happened. And, and one of the hardest things was, most of you guys know this, my mom was recently diagnosed with cancer. And this is one of those things that there's been a lot of nights and a lot of times where I just will cry out to God and say, why is this happening? There's been enough stuff already, God. Like, why is this happening? I, I just question why. I question the timing. I question, and it, it's just been really difficult. 
And I've had a lot of friends and people who I really love and respect come to me and say things like, your mom is going to be all right. She's going to be okay. She's going to pull through this. But the truth is, is that she may not. The truth is, is that my mom might not beat this cancer. I hope she does. I pray that she does. But my capital H hope says, if my mom doesn't beat this cancer, I trust you, God. That's the capital H hope versus the lowercase h hope. You say, I trust you, God, no matter what happens. I trust you. Because our hope can't be in situations. Our hope is a person. Our hope is Jesus. And Jesus doesn't just bring us hope. He is our hope. He is our hope. Do you guys understand the difference? He doesn't just provide us with hope. He doesn't just provide us and fix our situations and save us from situations. He literally is our hope. He is our hope. He is in the midst of our desert. He is walking with us through our desert. He is our hope. When he came to earth, he said, I am the way. I don't show you the way. I am the way. He is our peace. He doesn't just give us peace. He is our our hope. We look to him because he is our hope. And we don't say, Jesus, you're my hope, or I need hope, so fix this situation. We say, Jesus, you're my hope. But again, we can pray and fight for the lowercase h hope. And we can also put our hope in the promises of Jesus. We can put our hope in the things that Jesus has promised us. And what, and what, what I want to talk to you guys, let me just say this. If you are in the middle of the desert, if you're in the middle of something really hard and you just don't understand why it's happening, let me just remind you, you are not at the end of the story. None of us are at the end of the story. There is a beautiful chapter that, we, that is already written, but we're still waiting to experience. I want to read you guys a little bit of what that chapter looks like. It's in Revelation 21. I'll start in verse 3. and It says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down. From These words are trustworthy and true. We can hope in that. We have a beautiful hope that one day there's going to be no more suffering. God has, has prepared a place for us where there's no more tears. No more frustration, no more depression, no more racism, no more anger and hate, no more cancer. 
that's where we can put our hope. And one of the cool things about being a follower of Christ is that we get to take handfuls of that future hope and bring it back to our present reality. So when, when, when you encounter someone who's hopeless because they are sick, we get to pray healing for them. And oftentimes, not always, oftentimes they are healed. Marriages that are, that are in crisis, that it feels like there's no hope, we pray and God restores the marriage. Kids who have lost their faith in God pray for him, and miraculously, God reveals himself to, to them. Hope. We get to take that future hope and bring it today. So here's how I want to end. Why don't we stand? I believe there are a lot of people here, probably all of us in one degree or another, who need hope. Like you, whatever situation you're in, you just there's something inside of you that your heart was burning and you just thought, I need hope. And it might be the, the capital H hope, you need to see Jesus, or it might be the lowercase h hope where you say, I need, I really want to see deliverance in this area. I want to see freedom in this area, or I really need a job, or I really need, you know, financial help, or I need health or whatever it is, but you need, you need hope. And what I want to invite you to do is if you need hope this morning, I want to invite you forward and we just want to pray for you. So Michael is going to sing one final song and just start coming forward and say, I need hope. And people will, will just come alongside of you and pray for you. So just start making your way forward. Come pray. Be my source, be my life, Jesus. Jesus. Lots of prayers. Be the You are the reason we live. 
Lord, we look past our circumstances, whether they are extremely blessed right now and wonderful, or if they are really hard right now. We look past them and we look to you. Because you are our hope. And we know that this world is temporary, these circumstances are temporary, but you are the everlasting God. So Father, we pray that you bring us that hope that we so desire. Help us to hope in you. Lord, I know sometimes I feel powerless to hope in you. But you empower us to to hope in you, Jesus. You are our faith. So Lord, I pray that as we leave this building and we, we go into our our workplaces and to our neighborhoods and to our homes, that we will be your ambassadors of hope. That we will be people who bring hope to the hopeless, point people to you, Jesus. Lord, I pray that you, you, you plant in each one of our hearts your, your heart your passions, your desires. Lord, we say today, we just declare that no matter what happens tomorrow, our hope is in you. No, what, no matter what happens in any election, no matter what happens in financially, no matter what happens with our health, you are on the throne. And we love you, Jesus. We trust you, Jesus. In the name of Jesus, I just I, I bless that in your life. And I just bless the call that the Lord has on each and every one of you and the specific things that He has called you to do. And I just I, I bless you and give you the authority and freedom to do those things. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, guys, as you leave, just remember that we are ambassadors of hope, the hope of God. And, and I just want to encourage you as you leave, make sure you sign up. Last week, sign up for the women's conference. Uh, so we need children's volunteers to sign up for that. Um, but bless you guys. Have a wonderful week, and hopefully I will see you next week. <laughs>